Good afternoon, and welcome to today's Valisher video seminar, Our Risky Reliance on Chinese Drug Manufacturing. Thank you for joining us. My name is Peter Propp, and I'm the Director of Marketing for Valisher. Now I'm pleased to introduce our moderator for today's webinar, Major Ryan Constantino. Ryan is the Director of Pharmacy Clinical Decision Support for the Defense Health Agency. He is also the current chair of the American Pharmacists Association Clinical Sciences Section, providing a unique multidisciplinary interaction between clinical scientists and practitioners committed to expanding knowledge of the safe and effective use of drug products. Thank you, Ryan, for being with us here today. Thank you, Peter, and uh, welcome to everyone who joined for today's webinar. In 2018, Americans filled approximately 5.8 billion prescriptions, with nearly one out of every two Americans taking at least one prescription daily. Global pharmaceutical production is estimated to be about a $2 trillion a year industry, with up to 80% of drugs produced overseas in India or China. Over the last several years, China has emerged as one of the leading and largest pharmaceutical producers in the world. Even when drugs are manufactured in India or other countries, they often rely on ingredients made only in China, which produces about 60% of the world's active pharmaceutical ingredients, otherwise known as APIs. And in the vast majority of the fine chemicals um, that, that are used to make these APIs. The COVID-19 pandemic and the unprecedented pressure it's placed on the U.S. drug supply highlights America's dependence on foreign-based pharmaceutical supply manufacturers, particularly China. Global disruptions tied to COVID-19 have sparked concerns that shuttered plants in China and elsewhere and will likely cause or have already caused drug shortages in the United States and in some cases, um, results in medications that are being repurposed for COVID-19 treatment. In addition to the challenges of drug shortages, existing pharmaceutical quality problems can be exacerbated by the COVID-19 crisis. Many safety and quality issues stem from overseas manufacturers cutting corners, and it's certainly possible that many more corners will be cut in ramping up production and filling back orders. These concerns underscore the potential impact on the drug supply chain, as well as the U.S.'s vulnerability on the overdependence on a single country for the supply of some of the United States' most vital medications. Today, we're pleased to have Rosemary Gibson and David Light speak to you on the issues inherent to America's reliance on China for our nation's drug supply. Our first presenter is Rosemary Gibson, author of the book, China Rx, Exposing Risks to the America's Dependence on China for Medicine. Rosemary received the highest honor from the American Medical Writers Association for outstanding contributions to reporting on critical health issues in the public interest. She is board chair at Altarium Institute, a nonprofit health systems research group in Ann Arbor, board member of the Accreditation Council for Graduate Medical Education, and served on the Clinical Learning Environment Review Evaluation Committee to advance patient safety in teaching hospitals. At Robert Wood Johnson Foundation, she architected the uh, $200 million national strategy to establish inpatient palliative care programs that now number 1,800, which is an increase from about 10 in the 1990s. She also received the Lifetime Achievement Award from the American Academy of Hospice and Palliative Medicine. 
She also worked with Bill Moyers on the PBS documentary, On Our Own Terms. Our second presenter will be David Light, founder and CEO of Valisure. David is a biotech entrepreneur and scientist with over 15 years of broad experience in the field. A graduate of Yale University, David studied molecular biology and has worked in a variety of scientific and business roles at startups like Synthetic Genomics, Ion Torrent, and Valisure. At Ion Torrent, David developed key technologies that directly led to the semiconductor DNA sequencing company's $725 million acquisition and ran its flagship technology programs through development and global commercialization. David is the founder and CEO of Valisure and helped found, fund, and invent the core technology. David is named inventor on numerous patents published in journals, including Nature and the cover of Electrophoresis, and has been invited to testify at congressional hearings, as well as speak at the U.S. Capitol building regarding medication safety and quality. And now I would like to turn it over to Rosemary. Uh, thank you, Ryan, uh, for that nice introduction. And I want to thank my uh, Valisher, David, and for this opportunity to uh, be with you this afternoon. I'm just going to uh, share my screen, so bear with me for just one moment. And then we'll get started. I'll be uh, talking about a subject matter that has, as Ryan mentioned, has become much more pronounced with the uh, coronavirus uh, pandemic. And that is our dependence on China for so many of the, our medicines, primarily the raw materials and active ingredients to make thousands of them. And I'm trying to advance my slides. And for some reason, it's not going. Oh, there we go. Uh, the presentation today is based on three years of research that went into uh, prepare the book, China RX, exposing the risks of our dependence on China. And in, it was, came out in 2018, and it actually predicted the current situation that we are in. It said that in the event of a natural disaster or global pandemic, the United States will be waiting in line with other countries for critical medicines as global demand increases and the supply is concentrated so heavily in a single country. I'd like to focus just on two points today to clarify how dependent is the United States on China for medicine. And as you'll see, it's not just the US, it's countries around the world. And second, to do a root cause analysis of how did we get here? So first, how dependent are we? I think it's always helpful to take a look back at where we were not that long ago in the lifetimes of most of us on this call. While researching China RX, I came across a fascinating report prepared at Oak Ridge National Laboratory and published in 1988. And it was a remarkable uh, technical document that highlighted where every single antibiotic fermentation plant was in the United States. And it was a how-to manual on what to do if for some reason they were damaged or destroyed. This was part of national security and homeland security, and was a guide on how to repair them if they were damaged. In this document, it highlighted actually how much antibiotic production took place 
at each plant around the country. And it identified where penicillins, cephalosporins, tetracycline, and others. They had their locations, the contact name of the people who ran the plant, their phone numbers. So back in 1988, we were prepared and we had tremendous uh, industrial capacity. And this is just a, a slice of a, a map they have in the report that with the black dots showing where these plants were located. So we were prepared and we were self-sufficient. Let's fast forward to what emergency preparedness and in our industrial base looks like today. Today, we have virtually no capacity to manufacture the generic antibiotics. These are the medicines you give to your children and grandchildren for ear infections, you take for bronchitis or strep throat, for pneumonia, for sepsis, STDs, MRSA, and even anthrax exposure. It's worth repeating, we have virtually no capacity to make antibiotics. And these are part of our medical countermeasures for biosecurity. And these are some of the medicines that are needed to treat COVID patients who get secondary infections. More broadly, beyond antibiotics, how dependent are we on China? I had the pleasure of interviewing many people in the industry while writing China RX. And Guy Vilax, the CEO of Hovion, who actually supplied the US government with doxycycline after the anthrax attacks in 2001. We couldn't make the doxycycline and he said he had to get the starting material from a plant in China. I asked him, how dependent are we? And he said, if China stopped exporting ingredients to the US, within three months, all the, our pharmacies would be pretty empty. And put this in the context of a global pandemic where countries are lining up, basically competing with each other to obtain the same essential medicines we need. So how did we get here? The New York Times reported in 2004 about the closure of the last penicillin plant in the United States. This was announced in 2004. It was a Bristol-Myers Squibb plant located in Syracuse, New York. But was, what was not reported was the backstory. Why did this huge industrial plant shut down? And China RX exposes how it happened. If you read in the chapter on the penicillin cartel, you'll understand why. I'd like to share with you data on what I call China's penicillin cartel. This data comes from the European Fine Chemicals Group. This was a slide presentation they had, and this is a group that produces the key starting materials uh, for thousands of our prescription drugs. And look at the subtitle on this slide. A 25-year landslide in the manufacture and business of active pharmaceutical ingredients in Europe. So what's happened in the United States has also happened in Europe. And the next slide shows the penicillin cartel and how it happened. In this bar graph, you can see the, the higher level bars. And that is... And uh, raw material production for penicillin globally. Within each of those bars, you see a subset of bars, small, lesser height, and that's the growth in China's 
portion of the global market for penicillin material. And China did a very uh, strategic um, step as part of its industrial policy. In the 90s and perhaps earlier, it invested heavily in antibiotic fermentation capability. And what we began to see happen in 2004, and let me draw your attention to the yellow line on the graph, that's global price. Look over to the right and look what happened in 2004. The price dropped significantly and it was kept low for about four years. And during that four year period, again, beginning in 2004, that's when China drove out its competitors. It drove out the Bristol-Myers Squibb plant and even drove out Indian capability to make penicillin raw material. So as China drove out its competitors, when that job was done, then it raised the price, as you can see the yellow line indicating that increase. And this is a playbook that uh, I've observed over and over again and reported in China RX. It happened with vitamin C, it happened with aspirin, and of course in other sectors of our economy, our steel sector, China dumps product on the global market at below market prices and then drives out competitors and then raises the price. And so this is what happens when the prices go too low. And I say this to hospital CFOs, you're basically being subsidized by the Chinese government for now. But how long is that gonna continue? So this is how we've lost our capability. A lot of people think it's well, lower cost in China, which is true, lower labor costs, environmental regulations are less, but this is not normal market functioning. This is antitrust illegal behavior but no one ever um, did anything to stop it. I talk a lot about losing our industrial base and I think it's really helpful to have a picture of what this means. This is an aerial photo of the Bristol-Myers Squibb capability that once made 90, 70% of raw material for penicillin. And when announced it was closing, it began the process of demolishing 50 buildings on its campus. Tremendous capability. And once it's gone, it's gone. And the cost to bring it back is not insignificant. So that's, this is what we've lost in our country when we talk about the outsourcing of ingredient production, key starting materials, as well as API. We are losing the industrial base, the jobs that go with it, good paying jobs, our self-sufficiency and our workforce. It's important to underscore that China's dominance is not just here, it's also global. This is a screenshot of a former industry official in Europe. He was with the European Fine Chemicals Group. And what was so fat, this was in the Dutch public television documentary that one of the comments he made was really fascinating. You know, people say that, you know, well, China could withhold our medicines because the US is in a trade kerfuffle with China. I was surprised to see that in Europe, which is not in a trade issue with China, this uh, industry official said, now we're afraid that China will do things to deprive us of our medications. This illustrates what happens when we lose our capability to produce products that are essential for life. If you control antibiotics and other medicines, you effectively control the world. You, it gives whoever controls it significant leverage. 
The uh, Dutch public television folks updated their documentary this uh, this year with in a COVID context. And this is where the gentleman from the industry talked about the global dependence on China for raw materials. He said, and now you can say that China owns the raw material market worldwide. So when people question, well, it's, oh, we can make drugs here in the US, the reality is, as Ryan said, it's we have to look at the key starting materials and to make the ingredients in our essential drugs. This uh, triangle here illustrates where this dependence rests. So at the, in the bottom of the triangle are the finished drugs. And I wanna credit Martin Van Trieste who had this triangle idea. Some said I should reverse it, put the finished drugs at the top, but here, here it is. So the finished drugs are at the bottom. These are the pills that we take, the vials of medicine that are administered to patients. And active pharmaceutical ingredients are what makes a medicine medicine. It gives it a therapeutic value. And then at the top, are the raw materials, the key starting materials, the chemical intermediates to make the active ingredients. And China's chokehold is in those key starting materials. And as Ryan said, China also makes a lot of API. And it, it's very important to clarify on the right-hand side, the FDA regulates the API facilities and the finished drug facilities. And when it regulates those, that means that it has data on those facilities. They have to register with the FDA, they have to pay a fee. So the FDA, these are the ones that the FDA knows about and inspects. But what the FDA doesn't know about are the facilities that make the key starting materials. And I say this because when I testified before Congress last October, the FDA gave data on you know, where China has a chokehold and they focused on API and finished drugs but that's because that's the data they had. What they missed was, these things aren't made out of thin air, where the core chemicals come from, and that comes from China. So when you look at a lot of data, and I'll show you an example in a minute, it's very important that it not be misleading, that in fact, this is where China's chokehold is at the tip of the triangle. Now, China is rapidly moving up the value chain. It has nearly 10% of the US generic uh, market share, and that was achieved in just about 10 years. And here are some labels of selected generics made in China by its domestic companies and sold here in the US. This is the antibiotic doxycycline. I'm told that the uh, fermentation plant to make this is in Inner Mongolia or perhaps, perhaps in Kazakhstan, and the FDA does not inspect these facilities chemotherapy products made in China by its domestic companies, antidepressants, birth control pills, Alzheimer's, HIV AIDS, and much more. And it's important to underscore that these generic companies are also being subsidized by the Chinese government because its aim is to become the pharmacy to the world. It's a stated aim. And it's using this, I believe it will use the same playbook, just as it's driven out the raw material producers, it will eventually use the same strategy to undercut other generic companies to drive them out of business and then gain dominant global market share. What we're seeing is the collapse of Western generic trunk drug companies. Mylan announced last year that it was merging with Pfizer's generics. And then two of the other largest Western generic companies, Teva and Sandoz, they announced early last year that they're dropping about half their products. And the reason is that they just can't be competitive in the global market. 
so Western generic drug making is collapsing. We saw the collapse of the penicillin raw material market, API market, and now going upstream to the finished drugs, the pills that we take. And meanwhile, last year, Pfizer announced that its generic drug unit was opening its global headquarters in Shanghai. And remember, generics are 90% of the medicines that we take. And this means that we, we and the world are losing our capacity to make the most essential drugs necessary for our healthcare systems to function in the best of times, and certainly uh, during a global pandemic. So China makes 8.5, I'm, up I'm upping that to about 10%. India makes about 25% of our generic drugs. So that would seem, well, that's fine. If India is making 25% of our drugs, we don't need to worry about that. But in fact, as Ryan alluded to in the introduction, India depends on China a great deal for some of those starting materials. India is dependent on China for those raw materials and chemical intermediates. And it came out during the pandemic that 69% of those raw materials, those key starting materials that India requires for its giant generic industry, industry are sourced in China. And this is why India was putting in part, putting export bans on because it couldn't get this starting material from China for its own sector. I want to go back to what I call a regrettable statements. I, I wrote China RX in the public interest. I think it's imperative that the public and policymakers, those who are concerned about our national security, our health security, have accurate information. China RX has 900 footnotes documented exceedingly carefully. No one paid me to do this work. It's solely done in the public interest. And then I, you pick up different media and you see here that US Chamber of Commerce saying, nothing to see here, US manufacturers already meet 70% of current pharmaceutical demand. If that were true, we wouldn't have drug shortages. It's simply not true for the reasons of going back to that triangle. We can't do pharmaceutical manufacturing here without those key starting materials and those active pharmaceutical ingredients. And where most of the outsourcing has taken place for the API is, is for the generic drugs, branded products, those APIs are more likely to be made outside of China. But even the branded products right, like remdesivir, a very senior official said that some of the components to make remdesivir need to be sourced from China. So it's, it's so important for policymakers and all of us to have an understanding of our dependence, where we're dependent, and for what products. And I think the essential generic drugs are particularly challenging when it comes to that dependence. In fact, I asked a group of pharmaceutical engineers sitting around at dinner one night, so the COVID drugs that patients need to recover while they're in the hospital, the sedatives, the norepinephrine, the lidocaine, all these things, where are those key starting materials sourced? And went around the table and each of them said at least 90% of the key starting materials to make the COVID drugs that hospitals have been using to help patients recover are sourced from China. One of the other lessons we've learned from the coronavirus pandemic is that countries will uh, shut their doors on exports of critical medicines and keep them for their own populations. 
More than 70 countries indeed banned exports of medicines and or supplies, including, including half the countries in the EU, which, which is a site of some manufacturing. The UK banned parallel exports of key drugs to protect supplies. And this heightened the, heightened the realization that in the middle of a global pandemic, we need quality drugs, but we also need to have some minimal degree of self-sufficiency to ensure we have the medicines we need to care for people. And finally, I'll, I'll close with this really compelling uh, statement that was, this is more about the quality side and also our supply chain. There was a hearing last summer where I had the privilege of testifying, the US-China Economic and Security Review Commission. And in the course of that hearing, one of the commissioners uh, spoke up about his own personal experience with his prescription drugs, specifically his blood pressure medicine. His name is uh, Dr. Larry Wurzel. He's 32-year Army colonel, retired, used to teach at the Army War College. And he talked about his blood pressure medicines being contaminated with rocket fuel chemicals. And those the active ingredients were sourced from China. And he said, I imagine active duty people, those in the military now, have the same problem. And this affects the readiness of our troops. So this is a widespread problem. It, whether you're rich or poor, wherever you hail from, uh, this is a, a challenge that we all face. So I'm gonna stop there. There's China RX, and I hope you will reach out to me. There's my email address and follow me on Twitter at Rosemary100 for updates on what's going on. Oh, and by the way, the other thing I wanna say is, you know, the FDA is no longer, has ceased doing overseas inspections because of coronavirus. And I, I said in China RX, there's gonna come a time where the FDA won't be able to really do its job in, in China for a variety of reasons. And lo and behold, this past weekend, there was an advisory issued by the US State Department uh, advising Americans considering going to China that um, there is a concern about um, Americans being detained in China and even a barred from uh, leaving the country to come home. So that's another, I call, I put this out on Twitter, it's another nail in the coffin of, of FDA inspections. And if you think about it, companies say, well, our products are made in FDA inspected facilities. Well, for most of this year, that certainly is not gonna be true. So there's a different level of accountability. That's a known fact. And the question is who's accountable and who's taking steps to ensure we have quality, safe drugs, but also that we have an unrestricted supply of medicines when we need them, wherever we need them for every patient, every time. So I'll stop there and uh, turn it back to Ryan and David. Thank you. Thanks so much, Rosemary. As uh, really, Excellent, insightful talk. And uh, just gonna switch over here uh, to my screen. <clears throat> I think you actually transitioned it uh, extremely well for us to be able to talk a little bit um, about the quality side. Um, so I'll give uh, a quick talk uh, and quick overview of just Valisher, but then really going into uh, some background actually on NDMA that uh, Rosemary talked about from um, the perspective of that rocket fuel contaminant um, gets talked about a lot. So give a little bit of background on what NDMA actually is. Uh, and then go into uh, a lot of what Rosemary touched on in terms of the supply chain and uh, look at it from the lens of these contamination sources. Uh, look at one drug in particular uh, that's 
current problem, our metformin, top diabetes drug, uh, and then really get into the importance of independent testing and, and how this can apply broadly to uh, the pharmaceutical industry and healthcare industry as a whole. So first off, just really high level on Valisher. So Valisher, really our core concept of Valisher is independent chemical testing of medication and making that analysis very visible and transparent uh, in multiple ways, uh, but really for the patient uh, actually getting a certificate of analysis. And we're so used to in food having nutrition labels for everything, but uh, and some of the other marks of quality, uh, but in your medications, it's uh, often, as Rosemary says, 90% are going to be generic, comes in an orange bottle, uh, and has maybe a number written on it. That's really all the information you have. Um, so it's, it's really a push for chemical testing. And in our pharmacy model, uh, we're buying the medications just like uh, any other pharmacy from distributors, from this giant global supply chain that's, that's certainly heavily reliant on China. And we do this novel approach of just simply chemically checking uh, what's going on in those medications before we're comfortable shipping them out. Uh, and those that pass uh, can be shipped direct to patients uh, coming with our certificate of analysis. To get a little bit into the, the contaminant that we've been discussing, which is uh, it's been found in rocket fuel and pesticide, it's actually currently used uh, to induce cancer in rats. Uh, it's, it's an incredibly potent carcinogen. And to give a bit of background on it, it's uh, actually one of the most studied carcinogens on the planet. It was originally uh, discovered in the 1950s. Uh, there's been United States Senate hearings uh, that included discussions on this particular contaminant and the nitrosamines in general, but on MDMA. Uh, there's a quote here from that particular hearing in 1977, uh, a nitrosamine, dimethyl nitrosamine, uh, which is one of the most important percentages known, producing liver cancer in rats. Uh, the World Health Organization and the United Nations held a summit on these carcinogens in 1978. And uh, the other part that's been done for decades is the analytical techniques to actually be able to analyze this, uh, this chemical or these kinds of chemicals have also been around for 50 plus years. Uh, there's been dozens and hundreds of different methods uh, established for analysis of NDMA in food, beverage, soil, um, and certainly pharmaceuticals that's been studied heavily. Uh, here's just an excerpt from 1970 about uh, a particular method for the analysis of NDMA down to parts per trillion. Uh, a lot of what we talk about today is parts per billion. Um, and uh, we're, we're not going to talk about all the various uh, drugs, but just a little vignette about uh, uh, Zantac and Nididine is that if you just search this drug and NDMA in Google Scholar, you'll find over 500 academic studies that have been looking and, and studying this issue of NDMA formation just in that drug. Um, so really underscores uh, the depth of this area that has been studied. So the industry and regulators not be surprised that all of a sudden um, there, there's an issue with this uh, new contaminant. Uh, it's, it's been well known for a long time. And to bring it to the industry and, and the supply chain as a whole, 
what you're seeing here is is really just uh, a simple, well, it's simplified uh, kind of schematic of the supply chain. Uh, I think it really underscores just how incredibly complex uh, it actually is. Uh, many different components throughout the world. And you, as an individual patient, are really at the end of all of it. Um, and uh, if you think about when you're actually getting a medication, uh, most drugs have often passed through many, many different hands throughout this whole chain, traveled thousands of miles, and are often a year too old, actually, by the time that you receive them. And if this has obviously a lot of parallels to a used car and, and is honestly a pretty good analogy for understanding realizing the full implications of this giant supply chain. And uh, to think about this from the, from the side of China and uh, a lot of what Rosemary touched upon, if you zoom in on the active pharmaceutical ingredient component, which uh, obviously towards the beginning of this uh, whole chain um, has been measured before, roughly 60% of the global supply uh, of this component is uh, produced in China. However, if you go all the way back to the inputs, the fine chemicals and raw materials, as, as Rosemary was talking about, um, a lot of industry uh, professionals comment about how that's almost entirely China. Uh, so really, uh, uh, this entire long system that ends up with us at the end is, is really heavily, heavily reliant on China. And in terms of looking at some of these chemistry problems and contaminations, um, uh, it really makes this root cause analysis pretty difficult. And uh, we'll focus on metformin again. Uh, Valsartan is another scenario of blood pressure medication um, where a lot of root cause analysis was completed and it was found that it was really the API uh, being manufactured and the use of various solvents uh, was, the, was the problem. But metformin, for the reasons we'll talk about in a second, might actually go all the way back into the inputs and uh, maybe that much harder to really find uh, the reasons uh, that currently that the number four most prescribed drug in the United States, metformin, uh, is being broadly recalled for, again, this NDMA contamination. So to touch on that uh, a little bit, uh, we can look at the, the, the high-level chemistry. Obviously, uh, the, uh, the full synthesis of these kinds of drugs and compounds is much more complex. Um, but if you look at, again, this NDMA molecule, uh, nitrosodimethylamine, <clears throat> You can see that it's really uh, based on two primary pieces, uh, the dimethylamine and the nitrosyl here. And if you look at the molecule of metformin, this dimethylamine is actually on the drug itself. So you kind of have half of this molecule uh, already there. And um, when, when producing the molecule itself, uh, it means that you actually have contamination, not just from the, the final manufacturing of, of the molecule, but perhaps all the way back to the, to the pieces that make this molecule could have themselves been contaminated as you're really just one step away from making this, uh, this carcinogen. And when we did our, our now pretty broad analysis of metformin, so we, we analyzed our own uh, pharmacy batches. We also did a crowdsourcing study where we had over 100 people from all over the United States send samples. Uh, and when you looked at all those samples put together, and looked at their contamination, um, is quite an interesting, uh, really kind of shotgun story of uh, a contamination uh, dispersed all over the place. Uh, you had some companies that, that failed consistently, some companies that passed consistently, 
and then many companies that have uh, within the same labeling company uh, uh, batches that pass and batches that fail. Um, so obviously the full root cause analysis hasn't been done yet, but uh, it certainly leans on a pretty complex situation of how this contamination even got there in the first place um, and may very well point towards this immense complexity of the supply chain. And to delve a little bit deeper into the Neformin story, uh, looking at the history specifically of testing, um, it, this year, uh, February was the first time that uh, the FDA released data um, on, uh, on testing of metformin for MDMA under the, uh, the concern around this contamination. Uh, they released data on seven different companies uh, showing that all the batches passed. Uh, literally a day or two later, uh, Canada announced uh, recalls uh, on some companies that also are sold in the United States. And uh, at, at roughly the same time, we actually got a sample of metformin from uh, an individual that, that sent us um, a sample where we analyzed and found extremely high levels. And so we decided to do a, a broad survey where uh, we analyzed 22 different companies uh, that we ordered through our, through our own pharmacy and sourced independently, and then ran our, our independent analysis, uh, found 11 of the 22 companies had issues. We filed an FDA citizen petition. Uh, the FDA did respond relatively quickly in, uh, in asking us to provide samples, which, of course, we, we voluntarily did so. And by May, uh, now the FDA has requested recalls, and, and a whole variety of different companies have conducted now uh, increasing number of recalls. It started with five. Now there's a sixth company. Some companies have expanded the recalls. And I think, unfortunately, we're, we're again in a similar situation uh, like the blood pressure meds, where we're, we're having these rolling recalls of uh, problematic batches and drugs. Um, but the actual story for metformin goes uh, earlier than that. So everything we talked about was in 2020. Uh, but in 2015, actually, uh, the FDA conducted uh, a few tests on metformin, uh, being that, as they claimed, it was a high-risk solid oral generic product. Um, and they tested 11 companies 13 times in 2015, uh, which actually accounted for almost 20% of all their 2015 tests. So uh, a kind of important point um, that, that Rosemary was also alluding to is that you have all these facilities that are FDA inspected, uh, not so much this year, uh, but even when they are inspected, um, that is not a chemical analysis of medications. They're inspecting the paperwork, they're inspecting the facility, and it's actually very rare that the FDA does chemical testing. And within an entire year, that the average number of tests that the FDA conducts is roughly 60 or 70 um, within a year. I mean, we, we often do that within a day. Um, but the uh, point is that here's the, the companies that they tested and everything in bold are companies that are currently doing uh, recalls today. Um, in 2016, they did it again. Uh, so six more tests, 7% uh, of their uh, 2016 total. Uh, again, a number of companies that are now currently uh, recalling. And all these tests, including the ones in February, all passed. Um, there's even a link here if you, if you want to go into more details around the program. Uh, but the point is that it's, it's a really strong underscoring for, for the critical importance of independent testing. And you know, obviously, I've, I've said that a number of times, but what does this really mean? 
And uh, it, it can be uh, fairly nuanced in, in what's uh, uh, the, the kind of scientific details around it. Um, but uh, the bottom line is that independent testing uh, is really targeted towards answering the fundamental question, is this a quality medication? And uh, this often uh, relies and follows the standard uh, regulatory FDA industry guidance, uh, industry tests, uh, but occasionally it has to go beyond that. Uh, Zantac was a, a big case around that. By the way, we have some other webinars that really go into this, some of the more scientific detail on specific drug products uh, and the testing around that. Um, but uh, the important part is that we're trying as best as we possibly can to adhere to scientific best practice. And that is not always perfectly aligned with the regulatory industry standard. And this uh, is something that was the focal point of our uh, testimony before the United States Senate Finance Committee uh, just a month ago. Um, that really tried to delve into the, the oversight of this foreign drug manufacturing inspection process, these quality problems, uh, and, and a lot of the, uh, the issues that uh, Rosemary was touching on as well. Um, and so a lot of the big question, uh, of course, from, uh, from the government side, from kind of big picture industry side, is how can we apply this concept of independent testing to the broader industry? And there's two quick elements to that that I'll touch on, which is uh, guidance to drug quality scores and independently certified drugs. So real quick on, on quality scores, uh, and there's just a really great paper that, that Brian was a part of, uh, along with uh, leaders at NYU Langone, uh, the Cleveland Clinic, and, and a variety of other uh, uh, leaders and, and institutions that came together to really put a blueprint of let's take evidence-based data. So the chemistry data that Bausch is producing every day, uh, the regulatory data that's out there and all sorts of different drug products, uh, and, and take all these sources and just boil it down into simple red, yellow, green guidance that can help inform buyers, payers, uh, and, and potentially individuals even on uh, what to try and choose, uh, at least have some visibility and transparency into drug quality. Um, you know, even if you're a big healthcare institution, when you're buying a generic, which is 90% of, of all the drugs uh, that people are taking, um, all you see is, is the company and price. So to have another column in there of, of quality that, that's informed by real evidence-based information um, is something that has been talked about for a long time, but really needs to get done, and uh, something that we're pushing for, and, and the whole uh, group of professionals are pushing for in terms of how this could actually work in a large healthcare system and in a buying group, uh, in a payer. Um, and one of the things that we found, even in this initial work in this paper, is that if you actually plot out uh, these values against price, there's no correlation. So just because something is cheap doesn't necessarily mean that it's poor quality just because it's expensive doesn't necessarily mean that it's good quality. Um, so this shouldn't make your medications more expensive. This should just make uh, uh, transparency and, and make the buyers and payers of meds that much more capable of finding and, and uh, rewarding quality products and quality manufacturers. Um, and then uh, a really a much more definitive approach. So the, the quality scores is guidance in practically any medication, any national drug code that's out there. But a more definitive approach for, for 
high volume, high impact, high risk drugs, which could be a variety of categories, um, comes into this concept of, of directly independently certified drugs, certified generics um, that uh, uh, really have a tremendous amount of value compared to the other options or just standard brand or generic. Um, and what we envision for that is really a system where you can take this, this scientific independent certification analysis process, layer it on top of what the manufacturers or the distribution industry is already doing. Um, and uh, those that pass now get an entire large batch, uh, millions or sometimes even billions of pills at a time can be certified and can get a certification that goes throughout the entire chain and really ends up in the patient's hands uh, to see this visible, uh, transparent mark of quality. Um, and uh, with that, um, I'll, I'll wrap up uh, uh, as uh, just uh, the general overview of, of the quality side. And that concludes the first half of our Valisher video seminar with Rosemary Gibson author of China Rx, and Valisher founder and CEO David Light. Ryan Constantino was our moderator. Look for part two of this interesting discussion, including questions and answers from healthcare professionals and consumers, in episode five of Inside Your Meds, the Valisher podcast, wherever you get podcasts. For more information about Valisher, the pharmacy that checks, please visit valisher.com.